0: Good morning, everybody, and a special good morning to our eight o'clockers this morning as well. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at the Advent series, and we've had uh, Nathan talking to us about the garden, Ben talking to us about the temple, Bruce last week talked to us about the heart, and today Ben is going to talk to us about the city this morning. So it's a bit unusual, but we're looking at Revelation uh, this morning, Um, and um, as Suzanne said, Christmas is a joyful time, but it's also a time when some people are lonely and it can be a sad time. But this gives us hope um, that on our earthly death, God comes down, uh, there's a new Jerusalem on on earth, and this is all about the, the making everything new. And God coming down to live with all his children, all of us, all of us believers, forever and ever. So please, please join with me. It's uh, uh, Revelation 21, 1 to 4, and then we're going to skip to verse 15 to 22, 5. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, For the old order of things has passed away. And verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. My Bible notes tells me that that's a measurement of 2,200 kilometres cubic with walls 65 metres thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp, the lamp, is its lamp. and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Trevor.
1: Well, uh, good morning everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Ben, and it's wonderful to be here with you on the eve of Christmas Eve. So as we begin, let me pray. Father, please would you give us eyes to see what incredible things you have planned for us in the future, that it might change the way we live today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, Trevor mentioned, uh, if you're new uh, today, we're in the middle of a series, or almost at the end of it, actually, uh, called Among Us, and we're talking about God's big promise for one day dwelling with us on the earth. And the first uh, two weeks, we looked at uh, what it means for God to have dwelt among us in the garden and in the temple, Um, and last week, uh, Bruce talked about what it means for God to now dwell in our hearts And today we're looking at what it will mean in the future for God to dwell with us in the city, Uh, what this passage calls the New Jerusalem, uh, which is actually what we Christians mean when we talk about heaven. So for some of us, um, I wonder if the idea of heaven actually isn't all that exciting. Um, Perhaps for some of us, heaven might sound a little bit boring, I dare say. Uh, Well, one of my favourite cartoons um, is uh, by a guy called Gary Larson, and he sums it up well. I'm not sure if you can see that. It's a picture of a guy uh, with a halo and angel wings, sitting on a cloud, and he's looking very bored, and little thought bubble, he's thinking to himself, dang, wish I'd bought a magazine. You see, for some people, heaven might seem about as interesting as the waiting room at the dentist. For others, um, heaven might seem about as fun as a never-ending Anglican service where you're just trying to stay awake. (laughs) And still others might have absolutely no idea what heaven is like. Um, One of the greatest philosophers of our time, Paris Hilton, um, she puts it like this. She says, my biggest fear is to die because I have no idea what happens after and I'm really scared that it's nothing because that would be beyond boring, right? And doesn't that sum up the age in which we live? The worst thing is being bored. And I think for many of us uh, here in Manly, uh, we might be tempted to think a bit like this. I dare say that for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, our lives are so good, we kind of wonder if by comparison, heaven might just be a little bit boring. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, I want to urge you this morning to imagine. Now, um, You'll all remember John Lennon's song, Imagine, where he's saying, imagine there's no heaven. Um, Well, this morning I want to do the opposite. I want us to imagine that there is a heaven and that it's going to be awesome, okay? And we're not going to make stuff up, we're going to actually imagine what heaven will be like on the basis of God's word to us in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, Uh, Now, if if you don't know too much about the book of Revelation, let me just say uh, a little bit about it. Um, Most of it is actually a vision uh, that the Apostle John received from God uh, while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos, uh, Mediterranean, um, in about the mid-90s AD. And uh, the Apostle John sees a whole bunch of symbols of what heaven will be like. Now, let me just say, it's not meant to be read as a literal picture of heaven, by way of illustration, it's not meant to be understood as like a photograph um, of a married couple. Um, the symbols, they're more like the wedding ring or the engagement ring. You see, the ring itself doesn't give you a literal picture of what the married couple looks like, but it tells you something very true about the married couple. If that makes sense. In the same way, the symbols in John's vision don't give us a literal picture of heaven, but they very much reveal true things. Uh, about what heaven will be like, provided we understand the symbols correctly. Okay, so that's what we're going to do this morning. So uh, let's look at our passage under three headings as we look at the city. Um, First, what heaven will be like. Secondly, why it's worth thinking about it now. And thirdly, how we know we'll get there. Okay, Uh, what heaven will be like, why it's worth thinking about now, and how we know we'll get there. So first... What heaven will be like? The first thing we notice about heaven is it's not going to be up there in the clouds, right? Heaven very much comes down here to earth. Have a look with me uh, at chapter 21, verse 2. Now, if you've lost it, it's page 1,252 of the Bibles in the seats in front of you. Page 1,252. Chapter 21, verse 2, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, heaven comes down. And in this passage, we get two main pictures of what that will look like. Um, On the one hand, the passage says, heaven will be a garden. Have a look with me at the end of the passage, uh, chapter 22, verse 1. Uh, There we see, John sees the river of the water of life. Verse 2, he sees the tree of life bearing fruit. And verse 3, he sees there's no longer any curse. Uh, now, if you know your Bibles well, you'll know that these are all references to the Garden of Eden, right? At the beginning of the Bible, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. So in other words, what we see here symbolically is that heaven is paradise restored. It's a return to the Garden of Eden before sin and death enter the world. But heaven is not just a garden. Chapter uh, 21, verse 2, heaven is also a city. It's the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Now, why is heaven described um, as a city? Uh, well, some of you know, I recently went on a mission trip um, to beautiful regional um, New South Wales to Parks, uh, the town uh, to the sort of north and west, a little bit north of Sydney, Uh, Now, there are some good things um, in parks, a lot of good things. In fact, there's the DISH, the radio telescope. um, There's the annual Elvis Festival. Um, But if you really want to go to where the action is in New South Wales, you can't go to a regional town. I dare say you have to go to the city. You have to go to Sydney, you see, because cities are the centre, aren't they? They're the centre of human culture, the centre of human community, the centre for politics, the centre for religion, uh, the centre for sport, the centre for arts, and on and on it goes. And so that's why we see that heaven is a garden city. Um, It's a garden um, because gardens are beautiful and they also provide food, but it's also a city because cities are the centre of human culture and community. So that's the picture here of heaven. It's a garden city. And friends, it will not be boring. Not even for a second. Because I believe John's vision invites us to imagine. Imagine how awesome it's going to be. Because here's the thing. Whatever good things you love or can even imagine here on earth, they will be far, far, far greater in heaven. So I want to suggest six things um, about heaven that I believe this passage invites us to imagine and long for in heaven. First of all, in heaven, we're all going to be fit and healthy. Um, Recently, um, I've just completed a 10-day trial um, at that chain of gyms known as F45. Is anyone an F45er here? Oh my gosh, okay, I know Suzanne is. Um, I'm going to have to tell you, it was 10 days of pain, right? And as we all know, it's very hard uh, to stay fit and healthy. But I dare say in heaven, we won't have to worry about any of that, because in heaven, we're all going to be buff. Um, In in heaven, we're all going to have perfect beach bodies. Um, But more importantly, in heaven, there'll be no more sickness or death Have a look with me at chapter 21, verse 4. It says, God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, the old order where our bodies decay and fall apart, the old order of things has passed away. And did you notice all through this passage, the descriptions of heaven, they're very much physical, right? things you can touch and taste and, and, and see. Um, there's rivers and trees and streets of gold. Why does God bother making all of this physical stuff in heaven? Well, it's because in heaven we'll very much have physical bodies. We're not going to be floating around uh, in the clouds. If you want to know what our resurrection body will look like, just look at Jesus after his resurrection. His resurrection body very much was physical. Physical. How do we know this? Because he ate a fish. You might think, what? Well, because when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, they thought they were seeing a ghost. And so he asked, let me eat some broiled fish. And they gave it to him, and he ate it to show that he's not a ghost. (laughs) So in heaven, we'll all have resurrected physical bodies just like Jesus. We're not going to hover around bored like ghosts, We're going to be fit and healthy. We're going to run and sing and dance and hug in the heavenly city and we'll never again suffer or die. But not only that, second, we're going to be fabulously rich. Have a look with me, uh, chapter 21, verse 18. It says, "...in heaven the whole city is made of pure gold, as pure as glass." Verse 19, the foundation of the city walls are decorated with every kind of precious stone. And verse 21, each of the 12 gates of the city is made of a single giant pearl. Now, if that's what, you know, just the walls and the streets and the gates are made of, how much more lavish will be our homes and our clothes and our gadgets, if you're into that kind of thing, or whatever else God thinks we'll need to live in eternal bliss. God will spare no expense. In heaven, there'll be no one poor. We'll all be ridiculously rich, because in a sense, the resources of the world will be infinite, and we will share them all together. Thirdly, heaven will be infinitely fascinating. Um, I wonder if you noticed in verse 16... The heavenly city is massive. Well, Tre- Trevor really drew that to our attention, didn't he? 12,000 stadia, as you, the footnote of your Bible says, is um, about 2,200 kilometers, um, which, by the way, was roughly the width of the Roman Empire at the time. So the city is, um, is 2,200 kilometers long and uh, 2,200 kilometers wide, and strangely, it's 2,200 kilometers high. And we'll come back to that in a moment. And by the way, I don't think this is meant to be taken literally. There's going to be otherwise a lot of elevators uh, in heaven. Um, But at the very least, what we see here is that the city is huge. And that means if you like travel, there's going to be no end to what you can explore in heaven. But more than that, if you like the arts and culture, have a look with me at verse 24. It says, The kings of the earth will bring their splendor, Into the city. Verse 26 The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this means, but at the very least, I think it means this whatever might interest you about visiting the art galleries of Europe, whatever might excite you about visiting the pyramids in Egypt, or Machu Picchu in Peru, or the Great Wall of China, or Angkor Wat in Cambodia all of those experiences will be far surpassed in heaven. If you don't get time on this earth to visit all of them, don't worry, right? It'll be more than made up for you in heaven. And not only that, imagine how fascinating it will be to have coffee with the great Christians of the past who will be there in heaven. Imagine talking physics with Isaac Newton um, or discussing mathematics with Blaise Pascal. Imagine having a private writing class with C.S. Lewis or Dorothy Sayers. Imagine hearing the stories of the missionary adventures of Elizabeth Elliot or Amy Carmichael over a cup of tea. Just tell me that story one more time. Imagine chatting theology with Martin Luther over a sanctified sausage and a stein of beer. (laughs) I can't wait. You see, all this and more will make heaven endlessly fascinating. And maybe, you know, arts and culture aren't your thing. Well, for you adrenaline junkies, heaven will be endlessly fun. You know, just consider all the amazing things you're going to get to do um, if there's no longer any death or pain. Um, If you've seen Groundhog Day, it's going to be a little bit like that. Um, You know, you could go bungee jumping without a rope, um, and you're not going to go splat, you're just going to sort of bounce um, off the ground. Um, In Jesus' resurrection body, he did amazing things. Um, He could move in and out of rooms where the door was locked, seemingly through the walls. Um, He just, at his ascension, he just sort of flew up into heaven, evidently without wings. Now, you can see where I'm going with this. Imagine, maybe this means, in heaven, we're going to fly around like Superman. Um, Maybe some of us are going to amuse ourselves doing parkour across the peaks of the Pyrenees. Maybe some of us are going to be playing ultimate frisbee across the whole length of the Sahara Desert. Maybe, you know, some of us are just going to sort of do day trips to Mars. Or maybe some of us might just prefer to sit indoors And play a quiet game of 500 with friends, if that's more your thing. And that brings us to fifth. In heaven, we'll be reunited with friends. For many of us, I think we can't be truly happy um, here on earth because we'll never get back the loved ones we've lost. But in heaven, all those who trusted in Jesus will be there. And the day where we're united with them will be a day of incredible joy. Um, there's this place in the Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favourite books and movies series. Um, place in the Lord of the Rings where where Sam is reunited with his old friend Gandalf, and he says, "Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue?" What happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music, or like water in a parched land. Now, that's a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven when we're reunited with friends who have gone now to be with the Lord. Heaven will bring about a day when everything sad will come untrue. And I can't wait. Sixth in heaven, and above all, we're going to have fellowship with God. Undoubtedly, the greatest thing about heaven is what we read in chapter 21, verse 3. It says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them. God himself will be with them and be their God. Right now, heaven uh, is a spiritual place beyond our space and time where God dwells in his intimate personal presence. But at the end of the age when Jesus returns, heaven will come down and heaven and earth will become one. And when heaven enters our world, it will destroy all evil and it will bring about absolute bliss and blessing. It will be like turning the light on um, in a dark room. God's presence will drive away all the darkness. And most amazing, I think, is chapter 22, verse 4, where it just says this, "'And we will see his face.'" We will see the face of God. Now, no one knows exactly what this means, but at the very least, it means this. In heaven, we're going to spend time directly gazing upon God's beauty, and it will be infinitely more real and infinitely more breathtaking than the most glorious sunset or the most stunning human being is to look at on the earth and remember what we saw in verse 16 we said that the whole city is shaped like a cube it's as wide as long as it is tall why well if you're here a few weeks ago when i spoke on the temple you'll recall that the cube shaped room in the temple or the tabernacle was called the most holy place we said it was the place of God's most intimate personal presence and it was the place where heaven and earth overlapped. And so here in verse 16, the apostle John is saying something incredible. He is saying in heaven there's not just one little room in little temple in Jerusalem. No, he's saying the whole city. All of heaven is the most holy place. It's everywhere where we'll get to worship God and gaze on his beauty and dwell with him intimately. That's why verse 22, John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. Now, this means lots of things, um, but at the very least, this is what I'm most looking forward to. It means we're all going to get to spend stacks and stacks and stacks of time with Jesus. And it's going to be so good. Maybe we'll have to take it in turns, uh, but don't worry. There's going to be plenty of time um, to hang out with Jesus in heaven. Um, Personally, I don't know about you, but personally, I can't wait to go up to Jesus and just give him a big man hug. Um, And then I'm going to have a piccolo uh, with Jesus. And uh, we're going to have some sushi together. Uh, Maybe in the morning we're going to go hit the surf. Uh, And then in the afternoon, we're going to hit the slopes for some snowboarding. That's what I'm imagining, and it's going to be awesome. And I just invite you to consider, what about you? What are you most looking forward to about heaven? So that's point one, what heaven will be like. Whatever good things you love or can imagine here on earth, they will be far, far greater in heaven. Point number two, why? Why? Why is it worth thinking about heaven now? Now, imagine some of you are thinking, okay, Ben, you know, all that sort of stuff you've been talking about sounds like, you know, pie in the sky. What's this got to do with how I live now? If that's what you're thinking, I want to give you two very practical reasons why it's good to think about heaven now. First of all, thinking about heaven refocuses your priorities. There's a story uh, of a man who spent his whole life accumulating wealth. And just before he died, um, he sold everything that he had, um, and he went and bought himself a whole bunch of gold bars so that he could fill a suitcase full of gold bars. It was worth millions of dollars. And so when the man died, um, he went up to St. Peter with with his suitcase, and he asked if he could take it into heaven. Peter said, seriously, you won't need a thing. But the man insisted, and so Peter asked if he could... um, Sorry, the man insisted. Peter said, well, look, may I see what's inside the suitcase? And when Peter looked, he roared with laughter. And the man was a little bit offended. You know, here is his whole life's achievement in a suitcase. Peter said, look, I'm sorry. Sorry for laughing, but actually, we already have heaps of spare bricks in heaven, and these don't even meet the building code. You see, at the end of the day, all the wealth you accumulate on earth will be meaningless in heaven. I think that's what Jesus means when he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I think that means lots of things. But at the very least, he means you just can't, you simply cannot take your wealth with you. The only thing that truly survives the grave are people. People. In other words, the only thing you can invest in now that will last in eternity are people. People who end up trusting in Jesus and who will be with you in heaven and who you will treasure in heaven forever as your friends. So my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that your wealth will not survive the grave but people will? Because if you do... It'll drive you, I believe, to invest significant amounts of your time and your wealth to labor for what truly lasts. And that's to help more and more people come to know and trust in Jesus. You see, thinking about heaven refocuses your priorities. And secondly, thinking about heaven helps you endure hardships Over the years, uh, as a pastor, I've met lots of people um, who, for various reasons, have stopped trusting in Jesus because of suffering and hardship. You know, maybe some of them longed to be married, and they just felt that God was holding out on them, so they took matters into their own hands. Maybe they longed to have children, or they longed to be healed, or they longed to be freed from anxiety or financial ruin, And it was all too hard, and so they gave up. The main reason that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation was to encourage Christians to endure. In John's day, uh, Christians were being massively persecuted under the emperor Domitian. Um, They were having their homes seized and their property plundered. Some were at risk of being thrown to the lions or being burnt alive at the stake. And they were afraid and they were tempted to give up. How does John encourage these Christians to hang on? He gives them this. He says, Think. He says, Imagine what heaven is going to be like. And it worked. Scores and scores of Christians endured and they went to their deaths confidently clinging to Jesus. They died full of hope. They died singing hymns with smiles on their faces in solid expectation that heavenly joy awaited them on the other side through the doorway of the grave. And if you are suffering today, I want to say with much compassion, hang on, hear the promises of the Lord that you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and you will receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you if you just keep trusting in Jesus. I've already given you uh, one uh, reference from the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king. I want to give you uh, one more. Um, it's this part of the story where Frodo and Sam are, are, have ventured deep um, into the land of darkness, and they're going through a great deal of pain and suffering. But then Sam, the little hobbit, Sam sees something that gives him hope. Here's how the story goes. It says, there peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tall high up in the mountains. Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Friends, if you're struggling, I want to urge you, think about the light and high beauty of heaven. And if all you can get is just a glimmer of hope by doing so, that may well be enough for you to endure whatever it is that you're going through now. So there are two practical reasons uh, to think about heaven. That brings us to our third and final point, and very briefly, how we know we'll get there. This Christmas, we're going to celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given. And perhaps the best verse, my favorite Christmas verse, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave... For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They shall have heaven if you believe in Jesus. Here's what this means. If you have faith in Jesus, uh, if you believe he died and rose again for you, then you will most certainly be with him in heaven. And still some of us might ask, how do we know for sure? How do you know that this is a hope worth hanging on for? How do you know that this is a hope worth investing and pouring your time and money into to help others get there? We know for sure because look at what it costs Jesus to open up the gates of glory for us. Let me put it like this. In heaven we'll have access to the tree of life because Jesus accepted the tree of death. In heaven, we'll no longer be under the curse because on the cross, Jesus bore the curse in his body. In heaven, we'll only experience light because on the cross, Jesus experienced the darkness of God's wrath. In heaven, we'll only feel the joy of God's face because on the cross, Jesus felt the Father turn his face away. You see, heaven is a gift. It cannot be achieved by us. It can only be received by us because of what Jesus has already done. If you trust in Jesus you can be absolutely sure because it cost Jesus infinite pain to open up the way. So friends, of course heaven is worth hanging on for. Of course heaven is worth the investment of your time and your money to help get others there. And no matter what you are going through right now, all the storylines of your life will end up at the world's finale In heavenly bliss. Because without a shadow of a doubt, God will dwell among us. He will be our God, and we will be His people. And He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For God, our God, will make all things new. Amen let's pray. Father, like the children who will eagerly anticipate their presence this Christmas, help us to eagerly anticipate heaven as a sure and solid hope. Father, in comparison to eternity, it's just a few more sleeps. Help us to long for heaven. Help us to imagine how great it will be so that you might refocus our priorities and help us to endure to the end. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.